This is Two Guys in a River. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. We're two lifelong friends who love fly fishing for trout. Our podcast is all about helping you catch more fish and deepening your love of the time you spend on the river. We are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing. In our last episode, we interviewed Dave Cumling, a Montana outfitter on safe wading. It was a sobering and practical reminder about the risk of our sport. As we've said so many times before, fly fishing is no extreme sport. Uh, just look at us, Dave. Uh, we, we couldn't do anything extreme <laughs> if we wanted to. Speak for yourself. Uh, but yes, you're right. I can't do anything extreme. <laughs> oh, man. I can but, eat extremely. Yeah, though. I know. We, we do that when we're fly fishing, don't we? <laughs> But there are dangers, aren't there? You can drown, you can get struck by lightning, you can get bit by a rattlesnake or copperhead, you can get mauled by a grizzly. If you're fishing in the greater Yellowstone ecosystem or in Alaska, there's another danger, though, that we don't often think about. Uh, Dave had a scary encounter a few weeks ago that could have ended his life. And I'm not trying to be overly dramatic here. It's not like he was near death's door. Well, I don't know, maybe you were, Dave. Uh, I, we want to hear your story because it's a timely warning. Uh, this hidden danger is not the most common one, and it's only an issue on some rivers or streams. Probably one that you don't think a lot about, so we're going to talk about it today. Dave, how does the story begin? I think it really begins last fall, and you'll have to uh, stay with me to make the connection here. But you and I fished the Boulder River last fall. And just a few weeks earlier, maybe six weeks earlier, a fly fisher had drowned. And you and I actually fished below where he drowned. And then you said, hey, Dave, why don't we just go up to Four Mile Campground where he fell in and see the actual place where he fell in. And so we did that. And that was when we ran into that uh, camper, fly fisher camper with his Glock. And uh, he looked like he was not a hermit, but a recluse of some sort. And I don't think he even knew that the fly fisher had drowned there a few weeks earlier. No, we told him about it. Yeah, he was kind of not shocked, but oh, okay, you know. So the conversation, uh, well, the experience on the boulder and the conversation with uh, you and I, but also with the owner of the fly shop in Big Timber, and it really started this conversation about these different ways that we experience risk on the river because there's just different ways the boulder is because of how um just the boulder is the the rocks on the bottom the boulders on the bottom and it's just oh yeah it's just it's a tough river to wade even in the areas where it's not that much uh wider than a city street I remember that afternoon, it was actually before we went up to Four Mile Campground on the boulder, I crossed a stretch. You were ahead of me, and we were walking back to the truck, and I crossed a stretch. You had walked up on one side of the of Boulder River, and I'd walked up on the other, so we were just parallel right. each other, so we weren't that far apart, obviously. I could see each other. We were only like, what, 30 yards away, maybe, 40 yards yeah. away, but you had gone down, so I thought, I'll just cross right here, and there was a moment I could see the bottom. I had a waiting staff, and I thought, holy cow, I'm in. I, I had that panic. And so I stood sideways in the river, obviously, and I did all the techniques, but it, it, was, it was so treacherous. And wow. there were all these baseball size, soccer size, basketball size boulders 
that made it made it so miserable to get across. But that day just triggered this conversation you and I have had over time yeah. about it was this awakening once again to the risk of fly fishing. Yeah. So you didn't go down far enough, I guess. Uh, I think I crossed at a place where, uh, yeah, it was pretty. It wasn't too difficult. But you're right. Man, even sometimes, uh, what a hundred yards upriver, a hundred yards downriver, it's, uh, it's it's not conducive. Anyway, uh, fast forward to this winter. Uh, the, what we're talking about today happened on a creek in Wisconsin, not that far west of Madison. And I wasn't there, Dave, so what in the world were you doing fishing without me? <laughs> I did feel a little guilty, and I am not lying, about all the, the drive up there and back. So I was fishing with an old friend, Mark, and Mark is a great fly fisher, much better yeah. than I am. And Well, and in fairness to you, I had told you I couldn't go, so it's not like you were uh, intentionally yes. ditching me. Well, maybe you were, but you had a convenient <laughs> excuse. <laughs> he gave me a good reason to go fishing yeah. with Mark. So um, That's great. So this this place where you fish on the Blue River is uh, Steve and I do it in about fourteen hours. It's a one day thing. We get up early. I pick generally pick up Steve at about six a.m. Yeah. We get there around ten a.m. and we fish sometimes ten thirty. Fish for three or four hours. We only do and then get back. And so we drive. It's it's one full day of. And it's a lot of driving. Right. And we only fish it in the winter. We just hate yeah. fishing this any other time of year. Oh, yeah. And it's, it's small, isn't it? It's small a small spring creek. It's a, a short stretch. It really is a small spring creek. I mean, when you think about it, I mean, there are places where it's, gosh, is it? it's not even 5 to 10 feet across. I mean, right there at the bridge where we put in, or not put in, but we walk in, there are places where you can almost you can jump almost jump across you know, it. I was going to say there are a few places where in our twenties and thirties we yes. could have easily leaped across. Yes, it that might is not be pretty right now. Yeah. That would be that would <laughs> that would be the danger. <laughs> yeah, that's not what we're talking about. Yeah, oh, Dave tried gosh. to leap across the river oh, and uh, gosh. <laughs> so, Dave, before we get into what happened, what was the weather like that day? So this is winter. So it's it's mid early to mid February. And it wasn't extremely cold, but it was about 31 or 32 degrees. It was cloudy. The sun did come out a while, but then it went back uh, under the clouds. And and on these on this little spring creek, I wear only my waist waders. I typically don't wear chest waders, and that's because it's just simpler. And yep. and there's no real deep runs. Now there's some holes in there that are you know probably 12, 13 feet deep. But um, generally, they're not. They're just small little runs. You know, it's a creek that you know rises. It gets swollen at times, but it's not like these f- big freestone rivers out in the west. Right. And so it's just easier to wear waist waders. So I had my yeah. waist waders on that day. Okay. And what happened? I mean, I, I suspect our listeners are going to say, oh, yeah, I've had that happen to me too. Or I've wondered about that, but it's, it's not something we usually think about. So, yeah, what was the story, Dave? So, what makes this unique is that one, it was winter time. Two, I was fishing with someone I didn't normally fish with, and I'll tell you about that in a bit. And three, I had these waste waders on. So there was like it was like these this layer of of complexity to the day that created the situation I'm about to talk about. So Mark and I started out to fish, and Mark fishes at a different rhythm than you do. And you and I have fished so long together that we just know you hit a run, I'll I I 
I leapfrog over you. I get the next one. And we just go and we, and I've learned, and I'm not quite as quick on the runs and to stop fishing the runs as you are, but we fished through the years and we know, um, we know we have a rhythm. So Mark is just right. different. So I had been many years since I fished Mark with Mark. And right away, he found a run right at the beginning of this stretch that we fish. And he stayed there for an hour. And he had caught two fish. He was Euro-nymphing. I, I was not Euro-nymphing. I, was, I think I started out with streamers. And then I started out with a traditional nymph rig with a strike indicator. Mm-hmm. So he stayed at this one run. So I went, I went up ahead almost a half mile. And I, and, I, and I came back to him. I didn't go all the way up the river. I came back and said, hey, Mark. I said, there's a lot of good runs up here. By that time, he had already moved to the next one. But he was working it slowly at just a whole different approach, which was completely appropriate for what he was trying to do. And so, so I went back up, and this is when it happened, right? So I went back up, and I was probably a half mile again, three quarters of a mile. And there's this bend in the river. And the river, you and I never fish this little part of the river because it's slow. You can see it's muddy in there. But as you cro- walk around the bend, there's this run on the other side. And it's about oh, a 40-foot cast. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful run. It's, it's against a bank. And, and so I stood on the bank, and I started casting. And I sucked at my casting. And I, you know, I about I got I think I cast maybe ten or fifteen times, maybe one or two. I got a different, I got a good drift. I thought, screw it, I'm going to step into the creek, and and just get another three or four feet. That'll just another five feet will help me, and I'll be able to get this. So the angle, the distance. So I stepped into this money stretch, and it's shallow, right? It it looks shallow. Yeah. I took one step, and I took the second step. And suddenly I sank up to the middle of my thighs. And, 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 it, and, I, was, and I continued to sink. And oh. I was like, no. And, and immediately I panicked because it's cold. And yeah. I, I, I was wearing layers, so I didn't have a big parka on. I'm in the water. I know that Mark isn't coming for probably another hour, hour and a half. And how close are you to the bank at this point? So, as I'm I mean, sitting, you've, just, you've only taken a step or so, but still, you're you're sunk in the mud. I'm looking at probably two or th- maybe two yards. Wow! Yeah. So I'm close. Yeah. So I try to pull up on my right leg. I try to pull up my leg, and it, I'm only going down deeper. And oh, I'm thinking, man. is there a bottom to this place? And it's starting to get almost up to my crotch. It wasn't mm. quite up to there. And I thought, and oh, my gosh. Chest, you've got waist waders I've on. I've got waist waders on. So uh, I'm thinking, oh, my, is this how things are going to end, right? So it's 30, 31 degrees, waist waders on. Mark's not coming to my rescue. So I, I, th- I hurled my rod up to the, to the bank. I took off my satchel. And I just, I just stood there for a while thinking, how am I going to get out? I kept trying to lift my right leg, then my left leg. So finally, I started to, I, I thought, I wonder if I start to flatten out. So I, I'm, I'm vertical, but if I start to try to move and almost make my body horizontal, well, the problem with that is the water starts to come over your waders, yeah. right? Because uh. the water's that close up. It's that high up. And so I started to move, you know, lean to my right, lean to my left, lean forward. I wasn't leaning to the back because that's where the, you know, the rest of the river was. And it took me, oh my gosh. 
it took me probably, you know, it's hard to know time. I'm going to tell you yeah. it's 20 minutes. It probably wasn't 20 minutes. Wow. But when your heart is pounding and you're thinking, yeah. I've got an hour and a half in this water. And I also had gotten wet because I had, I, had tr- I had splashed. And I again, I had layers on. So I had this wool, thick wool. Um, it's like a big, thick wool shirt on. And yeah. so... I wasn't dressed warmly. I knew I was going to be moving and exercise. So I didn't have, I wasn't dressed like I could stand out in the cold for a long time. So right. that got wet because I was trying to move. I was trying to flatten myself. So water started splashing up. My arms were wet. And I just got really, really chilled. So mm. it took me, again, 15, 10, 15 minutes, maybe 20. And I finally was able to work my legs out, flatten myself, and crawl up on the bank. I literally crawled up on the bank. And oh, when I wow. got up on the bank, I was muddy from, like, almost above my waders, even, my, my front of my shirt all the way down. It, and it's interesting. I never really had a conversation with Mark about how serious it was, partly mm. because I think I was embarrassed partly because I didn't want to ruin his day. But it was a bad moment. Oh, man. Whew, that is is crazy. Dave, that's a risk. I I think I first realized the risk years ago when I uh, lived north of Belgrade, Montana. I used to fish the East Gallatin a lot, and and I learned early on that that's a a different kind of river. It's... uh, it's it's more like a spring creek there. It, it reminds it's not a tailwater, but it reminds me of some tailwaters. And you know, there, there's a lot of silt, a lot of a lot of places where mud gets washed down. And I, I remember one time, kind of right along the bank, uh, sinking in, uh, you know, up to my calves. And, and I was not in the river, thankfully. And I had to, you know, because there's no water. I actually kind of sat down and worked myself out. But it made me realize I can't let this happen to me in the water. So, Dave, as you think about your experience, let, let's talk about this. What, what kind of precautions can uh, we take? There's so many eventualities out in the, while you're on the river. And it's not like you can prepare for everything, right? I mean, because that was the first time I'd ever experienced something like that. Now, you and I, yeah. I think, chatted with, uh, with Dave Cumling in our last episode. Uh, yeah, and the inlet on that sandbar. And, yeah, yeah, it was I, similar. I remember, yeah, because I stepped, I, I walked to, the, there was this big drop-off, so this big, nice, big, uh, deep run. And the point is, you kind of walk up towards the edge of that, but the closer I got, and it was in shallow water, it was like, what, it was below my knees, or maybe knee-deep, and all of a sudden I started sinking in that sand, and, and I wasn't that deep, but... Man, that that scared the daylights out of me because I I couldn't sit down. I had waist waders on, or I'm sorry, I had chest waders on, but I still couldn't sit in that. That was that was spooky. Yeah, I had that exact. I was just up. I was probably what ten yards ahead of you. Yeah. And you know that run in front of us, which was this long run. It was the it was the Madison. It was the current of the Madison entering yeah. into the into Hebgen Lake. Yep. It is a deep run. I or mean, into, into Quake Lake. Yeah. What did I say? Yeah, yeah. Qu- yeah what did I yeah, say? Have right. been, yeah, Quake Lake. My bad. Yeah. yeah let, nope, <laughs> scratch all that. Yeah, Quake Lake. <laughs> it, it is so deep. Holy cow. I mean, there is no, you can't see the bottom. No. No, you can't. So, anyway, it's this, yeah, it's similar in that you're in a position where you can't 
get you can't go forward you can't go backwards if i would have gone f- another step forward uh that day on quake lake that inlet with with the madison i would have all of a sudden i as dave said you should have you would have had to swim for it he said in yeah. those moments if you get in that situation you throw your rod to the bank and you swim for it because you're yep. not getting out of that right this was a little bit different situation on the blue river but i so the thing is one of the big takeaways again is if you're fishing alone you just need to know you're at a greater risk yeah. and and you need to avoid those kinds of situations as much as possible right the second thing i think is you and i have always said about fishing within eye distance of each other and for the yeah. most part you and i've been better at that in recent years especially in yeah. yellowstone and madison some places you and i've just slowed down enough especially in bear country that's that's a big thing that is another thing is just is if you're going to fish with a buddy then then fish with a buddy yeah right yeah that that can help and, and it would have uh, again it's not Mark's fault. But no, not at all. The, it would have changed the dynamic if you and I were fishing together because we would have been in sight with each other and I, I would have come and uh, bravely rescued you, Dave. <laughs> well, <laughs> I would have known yeah. that you would have yeah. been there in about 10 minutes yeah. because you're, yeah. you were, if you were ahead of me and you didn't see me, you would have come back. Right. And it's just, it, again, it has nothing to do with Mark. Mark was, no. right. you, know, it, you know, it was, it, it was just, it was just, how we fish together that day exactly and you and i have talked about it that that's the thing too maybe that's another part of this in in terms of fishing inside of a buddy is make sure you talk about how you're going to approach this and we've done that uh, probably more because of, of being in bear country but we've talked about okay here's the plan and we're not going to get any further ahead and then we do but but we always back up and look for each other so yeah that's huge you know, another one that I think of is uh, testing the <laughs> the what the bottom, testing the ground before you step in a creek or, or even suspicious swampy water alongside a creek, and use your waiting staff for that. Uh, I, in fact, I I know a couple times, Dave, there in the blue, and I, and I think on that at that very place, I've. I've kind of poked my waiting staff down. It's like, oh, that's that's not going to work, and and that's a. But, but whether whether or not it's with a waiting staff, I mean, just yeah, I, I think we can learn from your experience by saying, hey, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna test where I'm uh, stepping. Uh, yeah, probably better to do it with your staff, but even with your foot. And if, if one starts to sink, uh, uh, wow, look out. Yes, I, I think that is so wise, and I think you, especially with muddy sections, you assume there's a, a, a quick bottom, right, a short bottom or a, a shallow bottom, and often there's not. The other thing that made this so high risk is that my phone, my cell phone service, in that stretch of the river, I get none, right? Oh, yeah. And now I think you get cell coverage there, but I'm with AT&T, yeah. and I get no cell coverage for, like, 90% of that mile and a half stretch. Yeah. And yeah. so once we go into the bottom out of Montfort and we drive down into the bottom and then park the car, at that point I have no cell coverage. So there was no chance for me to uh, to you know pick up the phone and give you a call. Now, if you had gotten stuck, you would have tried to call me, but I wouldn't have been able to pick it up. So cell phones, again, just don't yeah. work. You and I have had walkie-talkies before in the in the, in Yellowstone. I think we need to right. get back to that again. We yeah. haven't done mm-hmm. that. Yeah. 
no, that's, yeah, those little, uh, what are they, little two-way, four-way radios, they, little two-way radios, they work great, don't they? Yeah, they really so, do. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I think here again, having an exit strategy, as, as Dave Cumling said in our last podcast, can help us if we, you know, there may be times where you run into the soft stuff, that, that silt in the middle of a creek or or a little ways into a river, and you don't see it right off the bank. But if, if you have a good exit strategy, you're going to be in a lot better shape because I think the key is you, you can't just turn around and retrace your steps. You have to, you have to say, okay, the, the current's going to be pushing me along, and I'm going to have to exit downriver from, I mean, even if you were just to walk out in a straight line and then you want to go back to the bank right away, uh, unless it's, uh, it's it's a really gentle current, you're going to have to angle downstream, you know, downriver. And if so, if you go out, you start to feel like, oh, I'm going to get stuck. But uh, downriver is super deep. You, you could really get into a lot of problems. And, and Dave told us about that uh, fly fisher, uh, uh, really a expert fly fisher, a guy who, who drowned on the bighorn. Uh, uh, long many years ago and, and that's exactly what happened they buddies watched them and, and it looked like he would get out of it but what was below him was so deep that uh, yeah, his waders filled up and I think in trying to stand maybe rather than swim at least I assume uh, that that happened so yeah when I hear your story Dave it just makes me think uh, we always ought to have an exit strategy but that might in some cases even help us if we get into you know, we get into mud uh, a little bit further out than we anticipate. That conversation with Dave Cumling in our last episode really awoke me to how poorly I have planned and how poorly I have thought about the river. And often when we talk, we talk about reading a river for, you know, where the fish lie and the different runs and how to approach a run. I just never thought about how to enter an entry and exit strategy. And, and the thing that was really encouraging about that, he said, well, you'll end up getting to places that other fly fishers won't be able to get to, because if you think really clearly, you, you know, he had all these things like you have to make sure you see the bottom and, but ha if you have an entry and exit strategy, he said, you can get to places where other people might not go, but it makes so much sense though. Now I just yeah. had never thought about it like yeah. that. It really does. You know, Dave, you mentioned too, I mean, we've said it, but it doesn't hurt to repeat, using more caution in the winter, right? Oh, absolutely. And I, I oh my gosh. And and that's that was that extra thing. So if this had been, you know, 85 degrees in June, and I just would have been there for an hour, hour and a half, and, and, and it's not like I was going to sink farther up, you know, above my, or deeper than my, well, what's the phrase? It wouldn't have been above my waist in terms of going yeah. into the mud. I just would have been stuck there. The problem was I had gotten wet. Yeah. It was 31 degrees, mm. and you have this risk of hypothermia, yeah. right? So if I would have been there for an hour and a half up to my you know, groin in, in water and already wet, my, my, uh, you know, my shirt was wet, my arms were wet, oh, my gosh, it could have been pretty serious. Yeah, it really could. Well, I'm, I'm thankful that you're safe, and I, I guess because you're you're safe, uh, we can, uh, we can look back and smile a little bit. And, and I can say that the takeaway is, 
don't be a stick in the mud like Dave, right? <laughs> boop, boop, boop. Yeah, that's right. Thanks. You were waiting to say that. Oh, man. I know. I've been waiting the entire podcast for that line. Yeah, thanks for the little uh, drum that's great. Uh, piece there at the end. But no, we, uh, that, that's, yeah, thanks for sharing that. That's, uh, uh, wow, just a lot of lessons in that. And uh, yeah, one of those things that we don't think about, uh, or at least it's way down on the list. But uh, hopefully we'll all be attentive to that as we uh, get out in the river, uh, just being careful not to. Uh, uh, sink into mud, silt, sand, uh, you know, anything that's uh, uh, suspicious looking like that. Well, it's time for great stuff from our listeners, and we've had some helpful comments on our episode on dressing for fly fishing success. In that episode, we suggested five essentials for success. Uh, a long sleeve polyester shirt, uh, could be a, a wool shirt in the winter, but a uh, long sleeve polyester shirt, uh, nylon pants, a neck gaiter, a moisture shedding hat, and a lightweight rain jacket. And here are some of the comments. Uh, our friend Ted from Kentucky, uh, formerly Montana, said, and a good pair of sunglasses. And Richard added, they must be polarized. By the way, Dave, that's, uh, that's really good advice, even related to what we're talking about today, because, uh, uh, you know, that polarized lenses really cut through the glare you can see into the river and you're, you're right we often think in terms of seeing fish but uh, we want to be able to see the, the bottom more clearly uh, I actually have a great pair of prescription sunglasses from Costco uh, you don't have to spend a ton of money but uh, they're, they're prescription so I mean if, if you don't need that if you wear contacts you've got great vision just uh, you could even spend less money but uh, wow, those things protect my eyes. They give me good visibility, and and they're a pair that have a lighter tint, so I can wear even wear them inside a fly shop or gas station. But you got to have polarized sunglasses, and I know that you uh, wear those too. Here's a comment from Eileen. Uh, she says, "Thanks for thanks for mentioning that hats with bills around them are a good option due to the sun protection they provide." My husband and I want to start fly fishing when the weather heats up because we think it'd be a good way to spend quality time outdoors together. Following your wardrobe tips should help us stay comfortable as we start our fly fishing adventures. It's crazy how what you wear can make a difference, you know, for comfort and safety. Historically, I have been someone that just says, hey, I just want to get out and fish. The one thing I have always appreciated about you, you're kind of a, uh, what's the phrase, you're kind of a gadget junkie, and you're also, but 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 the positive side to that, which is almost all positive, is that you typically have the right thing when you need it, and 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 that thank has, you, and <laughs> thank you know you. so for example with the uh, you know just with the waiting staff, obviously that's not clothing, but um, that's a more of a gear thing. But you you know you you got that way before I did. I saw you had that, and and uh, and I thought okay, that's got to be a key part of my. Uh, my getup right is is that waiting staff, but I just want to fish. So I, that stuff I tend to want to dismiss. But you, re- I tell you, what, if you're gonna if you're gonna take fish, fly fishing serious, and you're gonna be in the outdoors. You need to protect your skin. You need to figure all these ways to do it without <laughs> either losing your life one way or the other. For years, I just wore a cotton uh, baseball cap, and I think the one time where it, it rained and. Uh, uh, even though I had my, 
my Sims rain jacket with a hood still coming down. And man, my hat was soaked by the end of the day. So eventually I invested, uh, key term there, I invested, <laughs> uh, yeah, in a, in a Gore-Tex uh, hat. And man, I've, I've loved that. It keeps you dry. So yeah, little adjustments like that are, are important. All right, that'll do it for today. Thanks again for listening. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. Until next time, we are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing. <laughs>